it's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland for today's LaneCast. Hello friends and welcome back to another agriculture conversation on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. If you're a cattle producer, would you like to create your own destiny in the cattle and beef business? Well, that's the discussion today. We're going to cover the Montana Premium Processing Co-op. It's just a few months away from opening a mobile livestock processing plant designed for a hoof-to-play concept that is USDA certified. This is actually a show we taped back in October during the Montana Farmers Union Convention. And with all the travel and everything that we've been doing this fall, I forgot we taped this show. And this is a show I did not want to stay in the can. We discuss processing beef locally, competing against the big four packers, and much, much more. We'll be back with this conversation on how cattle producers can create their own destiny right after these words from our sponsor, Whipfully. You deserve to work with an accounting firm that understands that agriculture is a way of life as much as it's a way to make a living. At Whipfully, we not only understand tax law, but also the agriculture industry. Our dedicated team of ag professionals can help you navigate tax complexities, help your farm or ranch operation with accounting and payroll setup, and assist with specialty tax services like R&D studies and more. So whether you need tax planning and preparation or traditional accounting assistance, call one of our offices or visit webflea.com today. Friends, we are actually taping this show during the 2021 Montana Farmers Union Annual Convention, 106 years. That's how many conventions that they have had, not over the last few months, over the years. It's great to be here meeting with producers from across the Big Sky State. And one of the big topics and opportunities participants got to experience was the unveiling of a mobile meat processing unit. Uh, Joining us today, president of the Montana Farmers Union, Walter Schweitzer. Also, Matt Raines, who will be heading up the Montana Premium Processing Co-op with, in conjunction with the Farmers Union, and also our friend Mike Calicrate, who uh, is a, a key part of how this all came together. Gentlemen, welcome to the Agriculture Conversation here today. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Lane. Mike, thanks for being here, Matt. Appreciate it, appreciate it. Well, uh, gentlemen, it's uh, it kind of feels like we've been at this convention for a full week. Uh, since uh, there hasn't been many in-person events, I'm pretty tired here today, and it's really it's a two two-day convention. It's a full two days. But Walter, uh, first off, uh, what, what's a, re- a recap of the convention? What's your take on how things have gone this year? Man, we had some awesome presentations and speakers here, and um, and we I learned a lot from a lot of these different speakers, and, uh, and Mike Calicrate talking about uh, meat meat direct sales and um we had a a great speaker talking about stress you know montana is is leading the nation in suicide and um and she visited with us about how to identify suicide which is critically important to preventing it and um we had a, a young gal mariah gladstone that talked about indigenous cooking and indigenous foods a lot of things I never even knew, and 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 I got to grow it in my own pasture that I could be eating, <laughs> and uh, it was a full full program. Yep. Well, again, it's so great to be back in person, being able to see everybody, and and really talk about these issues that are impacting uh, all uh, producers, whether they grow crops or livestock. We're all intertwined. 
And as we talk about mental health, uh, there's nothing more weighing on cattle producers' minds than cattle prices, transparency, but also uh, uh, seeing that end product and, and having a say. I, I, I think I'm going to refer to your statement to uh, helping shape their own destiny in the cattle business. And uh, several months ago, well, you joined me on this podcast talking about uh, the announcement of this mobile processing unit and uh, having it located up in Haver in conjunction with a curriculum with MSU Northern. Uh, Walter, uh, first off, I'm going to give you the floor here. Uh, what, what happened in Great Falls, Montana just yesterday? We, uh, we unveiled our mobile harvest unit. Uh, and we sh- were able to do tours with all of our members and a lot of the media to, to show what it's all about. And we were fortunate to have Mike Calligrate here who was able to, he's the one who designed it. He's the one that broke it in and made sure it worked right. And, um, and he, he led the tours. And it was, a, it's, I'm so excited about this. You know, you, you brought it up right out of the chute. Farmers and ranchers, we've got a lot of stress. And, and so much of it is out of our control. And, and the corporate monopolies are right at the top of the list. They manipulate our markets. They've, they control us. And this mobile harvest unit, the Montana Premium Processing Co-op, is going to be a way that ranchers can control their own destiny. Well, again, uh, Mike, I'm going to give you the floor here to talk about yourself and, and also uh, the, the processing unit. But, uh, Matt, I know you might get pulled away uh, for <laughs> some tours. But, uh, uh, Matt Rains, first, uh, you, you grew up here just uh, west of town. Uh, yep, uh, out in Sims. Ar- out in Sims, uh, Armed Forces as well. Yep, went and to West Point, um, served in the military, and then did, did some traveling around the world, came back, um, and was back in the state for a, a little while. and. Walter, he called me up and said, we have this project. We want to start a meat processing facility up in Haver and just kind of need somebody to, to come in and focus on it. And so that um, I've grown up on a ranch like we've always struggled with with cattle prices. And I mean, when I was doing 4-H here, taking my, my 4-H steer in the 90s, um, I think they're getting about 10 cents more, maybe 20 cents more now, 20 years later than back then. And so the, the whole market is just completely out of whack. And so um, we've known that it's, it's the, the middleman, the, the big four that we talk about, um, but it, it's real money. It's $2,000 a head. Um, and that's what the Montana producer that puts all the work into, all the care, all the, all the love and research into the genetics and taking care of those animals, we're the ones that lose that $2,000. So this morning, uh, we worked my, my in-laws uh, preg checked and uh, bangs vaccinated heifers. And so I was up early, uh, missed the first part of the convention here on day two to, to play cowboy and, and ride in the snow and cold. It's pretty, the coldest snowy day we've had here in the fall of 2021, and we need it. Um, but the, the questions that I got asked, because they watched the segment I had on the Montana Television Network last night, and they're like, Lane, like how many head are they going to run through a year? Um, um, what, how many per day uh, are they going to wrap? And I'm like, God, I didn't do a very good job uh, explaining all that yesterday. We did a nice report, but 
producers have a lot of questions. Let, let's talk about what the co-op is first off, how folks can be uh, involved and buy shares, and uh, and then and later on we can talk about the, the, the nitty-gritty of, of the actual slaughter, the, the drop-off, the wrapping, and what that's going to look like, because those are questions I had from family and friends just this morning. Uh, it piqued their interest right away, but uh, l- let's talk about the Montana Premium Processing Co-op, Matt, first. So it it wasn't the original plan to go the co-op route, but the more that we kind of looked at what we wanted to accomplish, and the the Montana producers are the ones, the the key stakeholders, the, the co-op model is just perfect. And this is for rural Montana, and it's like every other co-op that's out there um, taking care of the, the rural communities. This allows the Montana producers to be involved on the board of directors to, to run and own, and then every member that joins, they are an owner. They vote on that board. They make the decisions. They've got a direct line to everything from the, the rates that are set, the scheduling, um, the bylaws. It, it's all included. It's not a, a private entity that you're, you're tied to, to get what they provide. Um, it's, it's your own organization. Well, that, thanks for explaining that because that, that's just one of the, the many key areas because this is quite the collaborative effort, again, with Montana Farmers Union, from the co-op itself, from other investing groups in it, and also the collaboration with Montana State University Northern. Um, so, Walter, let, let's talk about that. And, Mike, I, I will let you talk here in just a little bit, but I just I know Matt might have to get pulled away here, and uh, I, I just want to make sure we're using his time as well. But Walter, let, let's just give an update on on the the how that's looking up at Haver, um, uh, the uh, working with MSU Northern as well, and uh, uh, how this is going to hopefully create a, a, a new uh, a new horizon for uh, meat processing and sales in the state. So Farmers Union is very committed to this project, and um, when the cooperative finally got formed, and uh, and they were you know they need the money to make this project work and uh, and so Montana Farmers Union were partners with North Dakota South Dakota Wisconsin and Minnesota in a, in a several hundred million dollars worth of businesses and so I reached out to my partners and told them about the project we got going here and and they think it's a great idea really really a great idea and they wanted to invest in it so we talked about it and we agreed to partner and start a new LLC called Farmers Union Processing. And we're gonna purchase this mobile harvest unit from Mike Calicrate. We're purchasing the Schwann's uh, storage depot up in Haver. We're, we're gonna build onto it and we're gonna retrofit the inside of it so that we can make it a full service meat processing facility. The harvest unit will harvest the livestock We'll be able to age the carcasses inside that Schwann's building, and then there's going to be a cut and wrap facility right next to it. And then the Schwann's building already has a freezer, mm-hmm. and we'll be able to store the, store the frozen meat in there. And it, it, Farmers Union is investing $700,000 in this project, and we're going to lease this to the Montana Premium Processing Co-op to make it work. Great. 
Well, and as Lane goes off into the weeds like I usually do in my conversations, can you believe Schwanz does not deliver anymore? That, <laughs> that blows my mind. It, it absolutely is. I, I kind of thought that when they first did that, they were just, like, consolidating. No, that's really sad that they're just moving out of the area. Like I, I, I grew up on ice cream sandwiches. Yes, ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> I mean, Chick, I, I, chicken cordon bleu. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was so glad that my grandfather was not on this earth uh, to, 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 when they decided to, to pull the rug out from all of their uh, faithful out there because I do not trust uh, uh, the FedEx guys in delivering my ice cream. I just, I just can't. And uh, that's just my point. But what a great opportunity for processing. Well, you know, Lane, that's what happens when you allow a foreign nation to purchase a American food supplier. Mm -hmm. They don't care about Americans. Mm -hmm. They just care about money. Yep, very true. And not the sparse population areas. Yep. Like, when you you get into the big investments like that, they want to just consolidate where they know they can make money. And so, again, going back to the co-op, that's why that's so successful yep. because it's the the individuals that live rural. Yep. They run and they own it. Yep. You know, Lane, I've known Mike Calicrate for a long time, and this is the quietest I've ever heard him. <laughs> I, I, he's just smiling over there. Well, Mike, uh, I, uh, Walter, Walter bet me a hundred bucks that I couldn't go eleven minutes without letting you talk. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but uh, Mike, you're coming up from uh, the great state of Colorado, one of our uh, coverage areas on the Western Ag Network radio network uh, that uh, that we have across uh, uh, many states here. Uh, and uh, uh, Ranch Foods Direct is, is obviously your, your business as well. But, Mike, just for our listeners that uh, maybe uh, haven't uh, had the chance to meet you or hear from you, uh, welcome to Montana. But let's just give a, a quick overview of, uh, of your involvement and, of course, uh, your advocacy of uh, uh, helping uh, promote local producers. Yeah, thanks, Lane. I, you know, I've been in the cattle business probably 45 years in northwest Kansas at St. Francis where I've been a cattle feeder, built a couple feedlots, experienced the whole uh, movement towards consolidation and, and concentration in the industry. And, and you know, I've just, in about 1998, December of 1998, I had the opportunity uh, to lose uh, my last cattle buyer uh, for fat cattle. He came in, it was between Christmas and New Year's in December of 1998. I had 14,000 head of cattle in a 12,000 head feedlot because I was unable to sell them. And the reason I wasn't able to sell them is because I had sued IBP as part of a producer group back in 1996. And, and that had wound its way into the courts and was becoming a class action. And they, they just, the big packers just decided enough is enough. Calicrate, we're not buying your cattle anymore. And I was already down to just one buyer. They'd already delegated territories and done all kinds of things that was contrary and, and, and illegal under the under the Packers and Stockyards Act. So here I was as a plaintiff in this lawsuit, twelve or fourteen thousand cattle in a twelve thousand head feedlot, and I'm calling up Secretary Dan Glickman saying, Hey, why don't you enforce the Packers and Stockyards Act? And I wouldn't have this problem of having all these cattle that I couldn't sell, and most of them weren't mine. I was a custom cattle feeder fed for other people. And so uh, Glickman said, well, you know, Mike, in this modern age of globalization, we need big companies that can do business globally. Now, that was brilliant, wasn't it? 
the globalization of our food system. How does that impact national security, food security, and, and so forth? And we've already touched on it a little bit with the Schwann's plant, mm -hmm. right? And, and so anyway, yeah, I didn't get anywhere with Dan Glickman, except he called up ConAgra, which is now JBS out of Greeley, yep. formerly Onford. He called up ConAgra and he says, buy all of Calicrate's cattle as they become ready. And so I emptied out my feedlot. Mm -hmm. And what I and what I said earlier is I had the opportunity to lose my last cattle buyer. And you talk about depression. I mean, what we talked about mental health. I mean, the, the pressure I was under to try to salvage out what I could out of these cattle, and and not, you know, bankrupt a bunch of customers was real to me. And then what am I going to do about those 15 people that went to town without a job? And we were one of the major commodity buyers in, in our whole area yep. uh, of, of St. Francis, Kansas. So I was really under the pressure and was feeling really, really low. And, and I, en I ended up emptying out the feedlot, completely empty. And this is one of the nicest feedlot operations, Matt. You were describing it yesterday, yep. but, but I had practice. I mean, this was the feedlot. I mean, the right soil type, the right drainage, the right pen size. The, I mean, I really worked on this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I was proud of it. So here I am sitting there looking at this empty feedlot, totally dead. I mean, there's nobody working there anymore. And, and, uh, and I decided, you know, we can, we can litigate, which has no, so far not been successful. We were early in the lawsuit, unfortunately, four years into the lawsuit, but, but almost four years into the lawsuit, and, you know, and with no outcome in, in the foreseeable future. And, or we can legislate. Maybe we can, maybe we can get Congress to put some more pressure on USDA to enforce the Packers and Stockyards Act, which would have prevented the whole mess. But that's taken way too long. And what about, what about the possibility of building the alternative food system? And I'd heard Bill Heffernan talk, the sociologist from Missouri, at the, at the governor's conference in 1996 when he said to Bob Peterson, who was the president and CEO of IBP, he said, you know, Bob Peterson, you're big, you control over 30% of the market, you're mean, you're tough, you know, you run a, a good business, and you're putting a lot of pressure on the cattle markets, you're using captive supplies, you're doing all these things, but you know what? You aren't big enough. In fact, you can't compete with a conglomerate. You cannot compete with a conglomerate like Conagra. You cannot compete with a conglomerate like Cargill. They will eat your lunch. And what was so unbelievable about what Bill Heffernan said that day was in warning IBP that you're not big enough and you're the biggest meat packer in the world and you're not big enough to compete with a conglomerate. Within five years, IBP sold to Tyson, a conglomerate based on the chicken model, which is so exploitive you can't believe it. But Bill Heffernan said, we have got to start creating and building the alternative. And I didn't realize how much impact that had on me. Mm -hmm. And so in 1999, I'm empty. I don't have a feedlot operation. I, I still own the land and the feedlot, but I don't have anything in it. And I got thinking, okay, it's time to do the third leg of that approach. Litigate, legislate, let's build the alternative. And I started Ranch Foods Direct. Mm -hmm. We killed our first cattle in June of 2000, sent a 40 head of fat Angus steers to Colorado Springs, Colorado to GNC Packing Company, and we started Ranch Foods Direct. And man, we were hauling carcasses to Oklahoma City to break them. 
we were selling meat in the American Airlines Center, the the, uh, the Texas Rangers ballpark. We we had the Hereford houses in in Kansas City. I mean, you, it was we had a we had a really cool operation, but everything was way too far apart, and so we ended up leaving Oklahoma City and opening up a brake plant in Colorado Springs and working with GNC Packing Company. So they went strictly slaughter. We were going to be their brake plant. And so we had all this custom business. We, we had the Ranch Foods Direct retail operation. We were selling in lots of different restaurants. We had seven school districts, a bunch of institutional accounts. We had 23 Chipotles. I mean, we were, we were getting along good, in good shape. Then there were signs that GNC was starting to have some problems. They were killing a lot of bison, and that bison business was going to be going somewhere else as a new plant was being constructed. Mm-hmm. And, and I sensed that they may not be around a lot longer. And I was lucky to go to a Colorado college lecture on, an, on one evening. And Bill Weida was there, and he was, he was the, uh, the sort of the CEO of, of SRAP, the, the Socially Responsible Ag Project. And they were working on a mobile slaughter unit project. And so, cool. And I know who Bill Weida was. I, I'd never got to meet him. So I just went up and I says, Bill, I got to talk to you about what I'm doing in Colorado Springs. And, and I said, can you, do, you have, do you have time? Can you come, come see what I'm doing? And so we, we, put, we got it together. And then, and then I said, I want to know about this mobile slaughter thing. And so it was really great. Uh, it turns out that this mobile slaughter unit is an old IBP tram trailer. In fact, it's the trailers that IBP put the small Midwest meat packers out of business with by buying carcasses mm-hmm. from them. And these were the trailers they were hauling the half carcasses in. And that was the final death blow to the, to the small meat packer in the Midwest. But what was so great about it is he, was, he, was, he had this trailer parked at a good buddy of mine that I hadn't been in touch with for a while in, in Columbus, Nebraska, Jerry Eisenmanger, and jumped right in. We got to, I got to jump right in and help design it, uh, come up with the ideas on, on how to lay it all out. And, and so the first mobile slaughter unit then came to St. Francis, Kansas. And the important part of me being involved was I had everything beyond the mobile slaughter unit that was required to put meat on the plate. And that is what's, that's what's important about this Haver and, and Montana uh, project is they've got the Schwann's plant that can take the carcasses out of the mobile slaughter unit every day into a holding cooler, and then they can either sell carcasses to butcher shops or they can cut and wrap right there in the plant. They got the freezer. They can provide all these services. And, 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 so, and so that's what I was able to offer to the mobile slaughter unit project of the socially responsible ag project. So they were really the beginning of it all and gave me the opportunity to, to have that very first mobile slaughter unit. Well, once we had that, then we figured out all the mistakes we made. Mm-hmm. And so we start on trailer number two, and then it was trailer number three. And then trailer number four is killing buffalo out of Rapid City, South Dakota. And, 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 and so it, it really turned out beautifully. And these trailers were just super stout, well-made, uh, triple axle, you know, and we just we just made a, a, a seriously cool unit yep. that's sitting right outside of this hotel yep. right now. And and so this isn't going to kill all the cattle in Montana, of course not. I mean, 
you know, and, and one of the things I get really concerned about is is these efforts that we've heard about around the country where they want to go build a fifteen hundred yep. day a day a fifteen hundred head a day plant. They don't have market access. Who are they going to sell those that meat to when the big meat packers control that connection to the consumer? That that was going to be my next my next question because back mm-hmm. in the in the '90s, early 2000s, there was a lot of efforts in Montana and different parts to put in a packing plant in different parts of the state, specifically eastern Montana, Billings, Miles City, or, or you know, uh, easier for folks to to take over. A lot of cattle over there, of course, but. Where, where's all that uh, product going to go? Where, where's the where's all that ground beef? Where, where, uh, ground beef going to be sold to? Where's that offal going to be sold to? So I'm glad you brought that up because we've seen so many efforts. Well, we got to get a plant. We got We got We got to start our own. But maybe we've started too big. It, it's okay to start small and do 18 head a day and grow right. that. It, right. So so thank you for pointing right. that out. Well, I met first. I first met John Tyson in 2002 at an NCBA convention in San Antonio, Texas, and I was already suing IBP at the time. Tyson was getting ready to buy IBP. I'd already announced it. He was there to tell cattlemen, hey, guys, the chicken business just bought the beef industry. He was there to, to announce that. And, of course, it was not setting well at all. But anyway, uh, I wanted to meet him. And so I saw his name tag, and I turned up to him and says, uh, John, I'm at Calicrate. I'm, I'm involved in a lawsuit against IBP, the company you're getting ready to buy. And he said, what lawsuit? And I'm, I couldn't believe it. Are you kidding me? You didn't do enough due diligence to know that the lawsuit that is filed against IBP right now has the potential to cost the company more than its entire market capitalization if we win. And John Tyson says, what's that all about? And I said, "It's well, it's based on the Packers and Stockyards Act and, you know, market manipulation. I know all about the Packers and Stockyards Act. And I said to him, I know you do, and you also know that had it been properly enfor- been enforced, you wouldn't be where you are right now in the chicken business. He was, you know, he just got all fussed up, and, and finally it, it, it settled down, and, and he said, look, you're suing the wrong people. He said, you need to be suing Walmart. They dictate to us what they'll pay, and we have no choice but to pay you whatever we have left. Bingo. Exactly. That's exactly the case. The retailer is robbing the bank, and the meat packers driving the getaway car. Now, that's changed it a little bit during COVID here, but that is the way it is. And so if John Tyson has to ask permission from Walmart to, to take a breath, how is the little plant at North Platte at 1,500 a day, head a day going to get along? They are not going to get along. And I'm, and I'm just talking about a mini version of a 6,000 or an 8,000 head a day plant is not the answer because if you're in a market that you can't sell into, that the, that the retailer has so much power they can dictate price, then you have no choice but to be just like the big packer. You've got to buy the cattle below cost of production. You've got to hire refugee workers and pay them below living wages. You, you have to take advantage of the government subsidies that make corn cheap so that those guys can feed cattle and hogs and chickens cheaper. I mean, everything, you're supporting everything that's hurt you. You're, you're supporting everything that has to be fixed in order for it to be a sustainable system and one where we can rebuild rural America again. And so I'm just saying many versions of those big plants cannot work. And, and, and so I'm saying go with some smaller op, uh, type operations like we're talking about in Montana, like the one in Ranch Foods Direct mm-hmm. uh, in, in St. Francis, Kansas and Colorado Springs. 
and sell direct to the end consumer. Now you're safe. You're outside of the predators, the space where you're going to get hurt. You sell direct as you possibly can to the end consumer, whether that's through an independent butcher shop that you can really make look great with some carcasses hanging mm -hmm. that are safer and higher quality and more direct from the, from the producer. But you do not sell anywhere in the existing system. I'm talking about the big retailers, the big food service companies. You cannot go there. You will die most certainly. But what this Montana uh, project can do for us as a small little entity out there is they can train a new workforce mm -hmm. in conjunction with with uh, Montana Northern this is so extremely valuable as we start building out this model we have got we've got to have skilled cutters and and the big meat packers have de-skilled the industry and cheapened that labor and and we need that to change and so we can build out you're paid more on more. how risky it is yeah within the plant obviously yeah. how risky yeah. that cutting position but, is but yeah. the deal is what the what this project can do is be a market indicator and you know the market's broken it's monopolized it's not fair it's all in all of that but if you know lawmakers if law enforcers if the general public can, can understand just how unfair it all is and how unjust it all is, with, with a market indicator as simple as a plant that kills 15 or 18 head a day and, and is returning back to the producer 65% of the consumer dollar as opposed to the 35% they're getting today through the current broken system, that's a market indicator that says, okay, something's messed up here. Why does Tyson need so much money? Why do the big retailers need to make 30% return on equity at the expense of a Montana rancher? Start enforcing the laws, and then the guy with 500 cows doesn't have to get in the meat business. Mm -hmm. He's got his market back again, and we start restoring competition. And, and, you know, to that point, National Farmers Union, we are in the middle of a lawsuit with the Packers right now. And, um, and they moved to dismiss that case, and, and the judge says, not so quick, not so quick. And so it has moved. He, he didn't allow them to dismiss the case, and so it's, for the first time ever, has moved into discovery. So the judge has given our attorneys the ability to discover what these packers have been up to. Now, here in Montana, we eat about 100,000 head a year, but we only have the processing capacity for about 20,000 head. And you know, we're shipping two and a half million head out of the state every year. And that's, that's wrong. When I first started farming, Montana processed 70% of our own food. Now it's less than 10%. And, and, and Mike talks about Walmart. When I first started farming, I could go to my local grocery store and the shelves were full of Montana food. Walmart closed down that grocery store. And now I have to drive an hour to some corporate chain to buy food from, and in the case of beef and pork, you don't even know where it comes from. Mm -hmm. What this is, the co-op that we have started, is a group of producers that have already been direct marketing their beef to consumers, but they're struggling to find processing capacity. And so what we're providing them is the tool that'll allow them to process their livestock and be able to sell that meat direct to their customers. 
maybe jump oh matt jump oh. in so just the the retail part is the key aspect it's like who does this co-op really um is it attractive to and it's to the producers that have an interest in retailing their own beef we are not the, the co-op isn't there to purchase the beef to be the new middleman um, we want the producer to own that animal that they finish themselves and they have plans, whether it's with a grocery store, a restaurant, or retailing online, however they want it, but they need that USDA for sale stamp on it. And so it, that's, we've got some processing capacity across the state, but most of it has that not for resale. Yep. And so we wanted to provide the Montana producers with that availability. And so a, Cool thing with the, the co-op, we had our first meeting. The the group of pledged members came in there, and from the the first second, it was asking the members, like, what are your priorities? We set this up. We've developed this, but now you've put your money on the line to be part of this organization. How do you want it run? And, for example, one of the questions was, when it comes to fees, the board of directors will set the fees, and we can do, like, minimum fees and the quality you know will have to be escalated down just to, to get it out there or do you want a facility that that when you retail your meat you've got consistent cuts you've got good quality packaging and across the board the membership came and they're like we are joining the co-op because we want to ensure when we retail that we're providing a good quality product and so the board of directors is there they've just been elected and so they're hearing this feedback from the get-go from the owners slash members that were there. So that's, I mean, that's how it's always been envisioned. Um, it is for the, the producer that does want to, whether it's small scale and in a food hub type place to, to retail um, their own product. But it, it is for them to have an avenue consistent year round. They can schedule three, four animals every single month. So they always have yeah. fresh meat. It's not like I got to drop off you know, my, my 10, 15 cows in August and make that last the whole year. So that's, we're really tailored to that type of producer. So a question on, uh, obviously at the Schwan, the former Schwann's facility, uh, folks are going to probably be wondering about, uh, the, the, the cutting and the wrapping of it, um, or the opportunity where a producer might just have that beef and uh, send it to a local butcher or grocery store. That's an option. But a lot of folks like having their brand, like to have their branding on the packaging. What, I guess, what what is the bare minimum when it comes to the wrapping selection? And what is the involvement from that producer when it comes to actually getting that cut and wrapped with up there in Haver? So a lot of that logistics is still being worked out. Okay. Um, we're not an operational facility, but... Um, generally speaking, we're putting the USDA stamp on there. Okay. Um, there, there's, there's plans, opportunities down the road, but right now where we are, it is, we want those ranchers that want to, that want to trace that steak that they can say, you know, I know, you know, what pasture this was raised and I know what bull this is from. I know everything about this. You consumer, you can trust the steak that you're eating type deal and so okay. the the labeling is, is to give that opportunity to the ranchers to to market their own beef and, 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 and the, Lane, i might i just mentioned yeah. when you have a usda plant uh it's for sale right everybody's used to seeing the custom stuff say not for sale so yep. the usda gives you that ability to market to other people and sell cuts rather than whole animals uh but <clears throat> at ranch foods direct we cut for around 45 different labels 
So whether it's individual producers or whatever it may be, it's around 45. And what we do, and I'm sure you're going to do the same, uh, Matt, is, is you will apply for a label for that ranch. And you'll get the USDA approval for the ranch and their logo to be on a label that then is attached to every single cut of meat that comes out of there. So it's branded. Mm-hmm. It's branded. If it's yours, it's your brand that comes out of that. But it's all got that same uh, inspection uh, legend on it, establishment number on it. So it is traced back to that Haber plant. Yep. So that, that, that'll be a big part of it. But, but, you know, I know you guys haven't got into it yet, but you're very likely going to have a very attractive retail package. Uh, you know, and th- this is what the small custom plants cannot afford to do. I mean, they're strictly paper wrap yep. type operations, and you're very likely going to end up with a roll stock machine of some kind that puts it into a really beautiful package that's attractive to a consumer that gives you a whole lot more ability to sell it at, at good, you know, profitable prices. Yep. So, And I mean... We've all been around the country, and we know that there is so much value in the word Montana, mm. and that people will pay a premium for the quality of the the beef that we raise here, and and the and pork and sheep, and exactly and rice, the, the co-op. It, yep. it, it is going to be originally beef, but we, we've started from the ground. It will be beef, sheep, pork, goats, bison. We've had everybody come to us and like, if you want it, you're a member. It, it's on the table, um, but that that made montana um that registers with a lot of people across the country and so we this is an avenue for us to get that value to our producers that montana deserves now maybe kind of getting back into the off trail uh, as i would maybe say we were talking about uh, the poultry industry and you were talking about national farmers union being involved now in the discovery process of this lawsuit do you believe that uh, the allegations and now discovery or actual <laughs> uh, the legal system and the court saying, oh, there's been price fixing in the poultry industry, do you believe that is one of the key factors why uh, um, when a judicial bench member is looking at these lawsuits, why they are actually, hmm, well, we're seeing it in the poultry industry, it's probably occurring or possibly occurring in the beef industry. Do you think that has really helped you as of late in these lawsuits? You know, the COVID pandemic put a microscope on our food supply chain and it's broken and everyone is now seeing that it's broken and March of 2020 was the most glaring example when when the price of the fed cattle was going down and yet the price of meat in the grocery store was going up and 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 there was still shortages of meat. And I think that they were made up shortages at that time. Made up because, because the COVID pandemic really hadn't even taken effect yet. It was, it was months away. And, and the packers were taking advantage of it. And, and you know what? Every attorney general in every state has marching orders that they are supposed to prosecute price gouging during a disaster. If, if any business is price gouging uh, during a crisis, that's just an extra level of wrong, an extra level of wrong. 
And, and so everyone is paying attention now. And, and they can see that there is something wrong here and trying to figure out where that something is. And it's clearly the Packers manipulating the market. So how frustrating is it for you now that we've, uh, uh, from uh, the Trump administration's attorney general and Justice Department now into President Biden's uh, Justice Department, that we still don't have any results from the, the fire at the Tyson plant in Holcomb, Kansas, to now uh, the investigation that uh, many AGs signed on to to look into that price gouging discussion during the, the pandemic? What? How frustrating is that, that the Department of Justice is still investigating that? Well, and I think Mike alluded to this in, in earlier on. He said that litigation takes time. Mm-hmm. It takes time. These attorneys, they make money by stalling it. That's, that's all there is to it. But President Biden is the first president since Roosevelt that's taking on these corporate monopolies. And in July, he announced the 72 executive orders that was talking about creating more competition in our marketplace. And, and he is, is wanting to, and the USDA is responding to this, to investigate these Packers and utilize the Packer stockyard. Trump buried the Packer stockyard. He eliminated it. He took it out and, and took away their attorneys, moved them to, 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 to Kansas. Yeah. Put them under egg marketing service. That's right. And, and so, President Biden is bringing them back out, and he is—he's given them the enforcement authority to do something about it, and they're gonna do something about it. And again, as we look at that, we are hopeful that we do get a conclusion out of that because it has frustrated producers since that fire occurred in Kansas in the aftermath there. So, Lane, another case—you were talking about the poultry industry—they're uh, on trial right now in Denver. Uh, I don't and know in Washington you, State too. Yeah, and so they're on trial this last week, uh, and and Tyson has already admitted guilt in that case, and and has turned on the other uh, defendants uh, to try to get more leniency out of the final decision. But these guys are criminals, and and who else is in that case this week in Denver? Pilgrim's Pride, JBS, JBS, our biggest beef processor. Uh, Purdue, Purdue, they're supposed to be such a nice company. They bought Nyman, you know, they bought Coleman, they bought all these other brands and so forth. And everybody's thinking, oh, it's going to be fine. They're, you know, they'll be, they'll treat us okay. No, they won't. These companies are criminals. And now we're going to see what the courts are going to do with that criminal behavior. And this could really go a long way in getting us started on this repair of this food system really all we are i mean go back a hundred years to 1921 we broke up a beef packer monopoly then that was not nearly as powerful as the one is today and the and the recipe and the process for breaking that power up is in writing we can do it we can fix this right now. Yes, they're more powerful. They, they control Congress to a much larger extent with Citizens United where they get to put all the money they want into a political campaign. Uh, but still, I think, I think we win eventually. I mean, the, 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 the democracy will prevail. 
you know, the, the, the misguided capitalism, which turns into monopoly power, will lose. And I think this time we, we, we will still get it done. Uh, but, but there's some good things happening. This, this trial in Denver, I can't see it having a good outcome for the Packers. And, and, and all it's da- doing is, is proving that these guys honestly and truly are cheaters. And, and, and they're hurting every Montana cattle producer in the state. Absolutely everyone in the state. And, and, and as you said, Matt, it's around 2000 bucks that, that, they're, that they're, you know, making that, that honestly isn't, isn't their share in a competitive marketplace and so you go back to you know 1970 we were getting we were getting 65 to 68 up to 70 percent of the consumer dollar back to the producer of those livestock and that's when we had when well that's when i had 20 meat packers i could sell to in 1978 as many as 20 and then i of course i told you the story then i had none and and if we can get back to a competitive marketplace again and get that percentage back to the farm and ranch gate that, that the monopoly has literally stolen through abusive market power. Everything changes in rural America. We rebuild local regional food systems. We start eating healthier again. We've got, we've got food security again. Our kids want to come back to the ranch. We talk about regenerative agriculture. There's nothing regenerative about this model. And the only way you can be regenerative as a producer is if you're taking it out of your kid's college account. To, to build that new fence or to, you know, to do whatever you're trying to do to improve your place, to be a fully and truly regenerative operation that heals the, the ills and all the damage of industrial agriculture, we need money. We need to make our fair share of that consumer food dollar, and then we can get the kids to come back. Because if, you, if your kids won't come back, you're not regenerative. Walter, I'll let you jump in there, but I, need to, I, got, a, I got a question that I'll ask after. Okay. It is my you show. Know. I guess I'm the host. I can ask questions. So. The, you know, if we are successful in these lawsuits and reining in these Packers, we have to be prepared to replace it. That's right. And that's what's so critically important about this Montana Premium Processing Co-op, because we're partnering with MSU Northern to create a meat processor's curriculum, because if we're going to have more local meat processing, we're going to need more butchers. We're going to need more inspectors. Mm-hmm. We're going to need more entrepreneurs. So they'll open a butcher shop in your community. And that's what's critically important about this Montana Premium Processing Co-op. Well, that's one thing that uh, maybe consumers and our listeners don't understand, that uh, most butcher shops just receive boxed beef from the big packers. And I was so frustrated watching a, a TV story out of Butte uh, with uh, the TV television network I'm affiliated with. They had a reporter do a story. and. They interviewed three local butcher shops, and they were just talking about how, well, your prime rib is going to be, you know, it's, it's going up high, and yada, but not once did they touch on that, well, that beef is not local. And they kind of said, well, the Packers are controlled. Well, they didn't explain what that was, but I was just like, oh, so now we're telling consumers, well, you probably can't afford your prime rib for, for Christmas. And uh, but but little did they say that actually we don't we don't buy our beef, you know, from a local producer, probably because they they can't. Uh, It's a barrier. But that just frustrated me to no end, because I I say it so many times. There's nothing more American than a butcher shop on each end of your main street and to see those halves hanging there. And what a better way to support your local producer. And uh, that consumer knows that, that that's gonna stay in your local community. I, I, sorry, I, that's, that's just kind of my, uh, my soapbox moment. But uh, 
but also we talk about you know uh, that profit per head and whatnot we, we do know there's a challenge in those cuts or the abundance of burger that will come from these animals too because we all know that folks like to have their prime ribs they like to have those nice steak cuts what mike what has your experience been in finding markets for that awful for the cheek meat for that how how do we make the profit out of that how do we create trade opportunities for those uh for that extra um additional uh, beefage i guess we could call it <laughs> you know when i started 21 years ago the the packer at gnc packing coming in car springs actually wrote us a check for the cattle we slaughtered because they were getting around 75 dollars a head for the hide they kept the heart the liver the tongue the tail and they sold those and and so you actually got a check back now the hides are worth zero we're composting the hides. We're throwing them away, which is tra- a tragic, horrible thing to do. And it's disrespectful of the animal. Uh, but in, in Ranch Foods Direct, we do have a home for the heart and the liver and the tongue and the tail. Uh, that all gets sold. Uh, and we, we have a pet food line. And, and so if we're, little, if we're long, which we always are, long on liver, and we're long on you know, some of the other, like the heart, uh, we can get that into our pet food, and, and we've got a raw pet food business that that's, that's a, that moves a lot of product. Uh, but one of the things that that I that I did right after reading the book about deep nutrition, there was a, a lady that wrote that book, a doctor that wrote this book, and she talked about the importance of organ meats in the human diet and how much more nutritious they are. And I and I was really moved by that. I, I thought, well, why don't we do a ground beef? with heart and liver included. And so we tested a bunch of different uh, recipes of inclusion rates of of heart and liver and we came up with with a a mix that's essentially 20% heart and liver combined with the ground beef. And you've gotta have a pretty trained palate to know it's in there. And, And yet, we're getting way better nutrition into our kids when we feed them their tacos and their hamburgers and, and the casserole and all of that. Uh, but we're selling a lot of that now. And, and it's in the, the housewives that, that really are concerned about, about health for their children realize that benefit. And who knows, maybe we can get those kids to eat liver again. You know, as a kid growing up out of wannabe children, uh, we had liver every week. And I love liver and liver and onions and, and when I'd rodeo I'd go around the country and you go to the little cafe and I'd always order the either the chicken fried steak mm. or the liver and onions you know so I, but that's gone but let's bring it back you know uh, let's bring that kind of thing back but but what you know what at this meeting I was so amazed by the young folks we've got a young lady here that's, that's how old is that young lady that's making 17, the leather purses 17 talk about an entrepreneur i got to visit with her she's amazing and she's making these leather purses that are going to sell big time i guarantee it so what i was talking to her about can we talk about you using the leather out of this montana processing oh my goodness yes okay where are we going to get it processed well she's got a place she's buying leather so maybe we can send it there and then we can bring the purses back into her business and 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 so you know we've got entrepreneurs right here in montana the other one is that red ants pants yes uh, talk about an entrepreneur yep. and and these these people exist all we got to do is give them an opportunity and so i was talking to the to the uh farmers union enterprises guys this morning as we were touring 
the mobile slaughter unit, and we were talking about the price of hides. And of course, they're in the off-all business, mm-hmm. uh, rendering business. And and but the problem is, if you if you put in a hide processing plant right now today, which would cost a lot of money, the big monopoly would put you out of business yeah. overnight. Yep. And so once we get antitrust law enforcement, once we get a lot of focus on breaking up the monopoly power, then we've got to be ready to build for sure a hide processing plant. How do I buy a vehicle with real leather seats? <laughs> yeah. A lot of it's soybean based. Yeah. And, yeah. and that drives me nuts. You know, it doesn't clean as good. You know, another thing, another thing that, that President Biden did, and, and, and Senator Tester was really involved in this, is this spring announcing funding to rebuild our food resiliency. You know, anymore, our, our schools, our hospitals, our prisons, they don't cook food, they handle food. And it comes from these big corporate monopolies like Cisco, all in a little TV dinner package. And they just put it in a place and warm it up. They aren't even cooking real food anymore. And so if we're going to rebuild our food resiliency, we got to get kitchens back into our schools, kitchens into our, our prisons, our hospitals, so that we are cooking real food again. And, and that's, it's all called rebuilding our food resiliency. And it's about food security. It really is about food security. And, and another example of this is that during this COVID pandemic, I don't know if you remember this, but Smithfield Foods went to, to, to President Trump and said, you know what, we need to have a waiver so that we can risk American employees to keep our, our slaughter plant open so we can process this pork. And so they got a waiver and forced their employees to go risk their lives to process pork in their plants here in the United States. Do you know what they did with that pork? They shipped it all to China. When you have a foreign country owning our food supply, and, and, and Brazil, Brazil owns over 50% of our beef processing capacity. and and. You know, the JBS, those brothers, they were in prison just two years ago. They were in prison just two years ago for, for bribing inspectors. And government officials. And government officials. This is who controls 50% of our beef processing. How secure does that make you feel, Lane? Matt? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, very, very valid points. And I know we've been talking for about 52 minutes here. And I've kind of been looking at my notes on how important it was. But I know a lot of, there are a lot of questions, though, around that byproduct. And I, those were some great examples. For, so thank you for sharing that. Um, have you ever had any oxtail soup? Oxtail mm-hmm. soup? I have not. That's a big deal at Ranch Foods Direct. People love it. Oxtail and all soup? the collagen that's in that. Of course, we make a lot of broth as well. So it'll make my hair look pretty yeah. good. And so somebody, somebody uh, I was telling somebody I had this really cool idea about making uh, bone char and basically you pyrolyze the bones and, and you've got equal parts calcium phosphorus and carbon right and all those are very important soil yep. nutrients and and additives and and so i felt like the biggest idiot of all the guy i, I the guy i was talking to uh he said well i sure hope you're making broth out of those bones before you char them and i thought you golly I never thought of yep. that. And so now we're making broth out of the bones 
from the carcasses that we process in Colorado Springs and the ones, the, the skulls and that that we that end up in the compost pile, we're screening those bones out and then we can make bone char out of those. So that's just more offal, major value that we can get out of offal. But broth is a really big deal. And especially with with our with with women that are worried about their fingernails and their hair and their complexion. I mean if we can get more collagen into our into our diets and, and broth is just such a health food. So we're selling a lot of that. Yep. Yeah. So, Lane, I, I know you wanted to give me an opening so I could end something about the co-op. So I'll just yes. go ahead and yes. throw something in here. Um, Wait, we're going to take a quick commercial? No. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'd asked about the numbers. People are, are coming up to you and asking you, like, yep. so this, when it kind of gets to a steady state, the, the cooperative, the facility, um, we're hoping that it's a 10 to 15 a day. So we're looking at about 2,400, 2,500 a year. Um, that is what we envision in the the beginning and then we want to be able down the future to take the blueprint of this this facility in haver and be able to duplicate it across montana so this isn't the the end all we want to hit 2400 um as as the the co-op model gets out there and we start building our membership and expanding um we'll have the the availability to as before we max capacity to be like, all right, it's time for to, to go to another Montana town and, and, and do the same facility and then, and then kind of keep expanding around. So um, we want to take this as a blueprint. We want, we want to perfect it in Haver and then make sure that we can get to all the communities across Montana and provide the same support. And, and it's not going to be limited to just Montana. Remember, I have we have partners from North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, and Wisconsin in this too. Yep. And they want to take what we're doing here and they want to replicate it in every one of their states. And so this is just the, the test project, the pilot, the pilot one. But once we get it up and running, they're going to do it in North Dakota. They're going to do it in South Dakota. There's going to be a farmer's union processing facility in every one of those states. And it's very likely not going to be a mobile unit. The mobile unit is what you start with. It's what you test it with. And then you build a purpose-built, small, maybe maxed out at 30 head a day, but it's a very simple, well-designed, purpose-built facility that the mobile unit then can go move on to the next town and do it again and again and again. And so maybe, Mike, for those folks that are listening out there that, you know, maybe want to venture out and start their own smaller plant, something like this, how do producers, community members, and states support these smaller facilities so they don't get eaten up by the big packers well first of all we need antitrust law enforcement you know and there's some reforms that we really need to have from washington you know we need subsidy reform if those guys are going to get the cheap corn below cost of production that that has to stop Uh, we need inspection reform we need a much more friendly food safety inspection service that is not confrontational to small plants they're the safest the big plants are the least safe USDA has got to be much kinder and nicer to small plants instead of going in there and intimidating them and scaring the hell out of them and threatening to pull their grant of inspection and threatening to use the Humane Slaughter Act if they ever miss one to shut them down. They've got to stop this confrontational approach. But the fact is USDA has been a partner of the big meat packers for a very long time, and, and it's all been stacked against the small 
the small plant, which is what we want to see come back. So we need these we need these types of reforms. We need labeling reforms because right now we've developed niches. A, a small all the small plants develop the best very best niches. Well, it doesn't take JBS two weeks to copy the word and put it in their advertising about being responsible. Mm-hmm. And that it was that's a, truly what happened to us. I mean, they've stolen every single word, and and so we need labeling reform. We honestly need to know what country or beef and, and pork comes from. Uh, uh, we need, we just need tr- truth in labeling. And I'm very confident that the, under, the, under the Federal Trade Commission with Lena Khan as, as, as the lead, we're going to see that. Rohit Chopra's uh, and Lena Khan want the opportunity to try to fix a lot of these, uh, the truth in, in, uh, in labeling uh, issues. And so those are the kind of things we need. And, and, and then the fact if, that you can just sell direct to a consumer and have that relationship, that's the safe, that's the really the safest place to be right now. It's just to go, just to sell direct retail. Yep. Yeah. And, it, the, and the new plant gives you that opportunity. It's the, the consumer psyche. We have to get them to be like, when they want to get their, their food, that they think of, okay, where's the fresh Montana beef? It's not, I've got my shopping list, I'm gonna go to Walmart. I'm gonna I'm gonna get everything, and so the more that we can get these kind of facilities, and then you know whether it's a butcher shop that we can get those back into the communities to where it's their first stop, um, it'll self-sustain these small facilities. Like it'll circle around and and it'll help them, but we've got an uphill climb to change that consumer psyche right now. When are you guys gonna do like a Montana Farmers Union Hello Fresh box? <laughs> I will say, my wife and I love those. I mean, obviously, we I hate the beef that comes in those. It's just not my style. I, Walter, are you familiar with the HelloFresh? Oh, yeah. it's, it's better than the Blue Apron, in my opinion. Blue Apron has too many steps. I don't like that. But when you've been working all day and whatnot, I, I think it's a great model where you literally you have that food right there. And I don't have to think about what I have to purchase. Maybe down the road we can see more producers being a part of a, a co-op model like that where they can take their potatoes I mean, and take I their would, carrots. You I know, would I mean, love to see a herd of FedEx and UPS trucks coming into Montana <laughs> to all the ranches, loading up all the individual boxes that are shipped out across the country. That is the direction and, and then the way that our Montana that's, producers... That's the Food Hub uh, yep. project that you can do. Well, gentlemen, hey, uh, exactly an hour that we've been uh, BSing here. I, I've gone all over the board. I'm sure my listeners are just like, God, he could, he was all over. But we had a lot to talk about. We had a lot of policy. We had a lot of issues. We had a lot of opportunities that we discussed today. Um, and uh, I tell you what, I, I think it was a great conversation. We'll continue to have these. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll give you a, a quick second to have the floor, and then we'll wrap up. And uh, Walter's going to go start pouring shots of tequila. <laughs> you know, Lane, I just want to thank you for everything you do. You, you know, it's getting the message out to the consumers that's critically important for agriculture. And you do a great job of doing that. Thank you, Lane. Thank you. Thanks for having <laughs> us on. I feel really good about this project. You know, we've got a lot of experience among us. And, and man, to have this powerful of a group uh, behind something like this is is. This is exciting. I, I, I want to see it replicated. It's going to work. So, Mike, thanks for joining us here today, too.
Lane, I want to really appreciate the opportunity to plug for the co-op. Um, anybody listening, so www.mtpremiumprocessing.com. All the information's up there, what we're doing. Um, contact, reach out, the, the, the forms are on there. If you want to know anything, my phone's always available, so give me a call. I'm glad to talk about it. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on the Lancast Ag Podcast for another agriculture conversation. Again, this took place during the 2021 Montana Farmers Union one. I was going to say 102nd, but it's 106th Montana Farmers Union Convention here at the Heritage Inn. We're going to be doing cannonball contests here in a little bit into the pool. That's a that's a new event that Walter started here this year. That depends on how many tequila shots we're, we're able to have here, but. Again, friends, for more information, uh, visit the Montana Premium Processing Co-op online through the Montana Farmers Union's website to learn how you be, you can become a stock shareholder and secure those opportunities to have your beef that's born and raised here in the state of Montana processed here in the state as well. Or if you're listening from out of state and would just like more information and how maybe this could be a head start for you and your organization or operation, it's a great start. That will do it for today here on The Conversation. I'm Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.